Good morning, church. How are you guys doing? I just wanted to begin by saying that leading this congregation has been a weighty, but it's been an incredible privilege. And if you hear nothing else this morning, now I've been praying, Lord, help me keep it together. And he did in the first service, but you guys are going to get the blubbering guy. Um, <laughs> if you hear nothing else this morning, I want you to know that I love you. And I want to thank you for loving me and my family. Honestly, we've been so overwhelmed this week by the messages, the cards, the calls, the prayers from many of you. And it's just been so humbling and undeserving. Uh, you know, these last few days have been ones of grieving for Irina, myself, and our kids. And the real grief behind that is just knowing your pain, knowing what you guys are feeling and the grief that you're carrying. And our prayer this week, I've just been praying every day, Lord, help the people know your closeness and help them know your abundant grace and love for them. And church, I've, I've made many mistakes and I often stumble, but I thank you for the grace that you've shown me. <laughs> uh, it's helped me know the grace of our wonderful Savior even more. But today is a worship service. It's not about man, it's about the Lord. It's about the time that we come together to worship the King of Kings, to have our eyes lifted from the world, from the strife, from everything that holds us down, and to see and behold the beauty of Christ our Savior, to see his kingdom and what that means, to, to be strengthened in grace and to come under the word of God. It's a worship service about him. And Isaiah says, the grass withers and the flowers fade. But the word of our God will stand forever. So we're not going to waste our time with things that uh, fade, but rather we're going to turn our eyes to the one who stands forever. See, only the Lord is eternal. Only the Lord is truly perfect and worthy of our praise. He is the one who stands forever. Man will fail and they will disappoint you and will let you down, but the Lord is unfailing. So let me talk to him before I talk to you. Lord Jesus, I, I thank you so much that you opened a way to the Father, that you know everything about us. You see when we lie down and when we wake up, you perceive our thoughts from far. And Lord, just thinking about that terrifies me, but it just brings me so much comfort that you know every detail of our lives. You know every tear that falls to the ground. You know every emotion we feel. And Lord, you are there and you comfort us. And Father, I pray this morning that we would know your your love, we would know the faith and the hope and the peace that you bring. And so, Lord, I pray, help me to know that peace as I stand. Uh, I pray, help me, Lord, just to preach without crying. <laughs> and I pray, Lord Jesus, that your word would speak. And, Lord, that your people would see what a wonderful Savior they serve. Amen. Amen. Uh, you know, in a weird way, this was supposed to be Vision Sunday. A time where we kind of stop and see where the Lord's leading us. Uh, we kind of look at the things that we're supposed to be pursuing and going after and, and the things maybe that we are to leave behind. Um, and in Proverbs 29:18, in the King James Version, it says this. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. And often the interpretation of that verse is that we need a plan. We just need to give the people a plan, a plan that everyone buys into so we know where we're going, that we're passionate about. Because if we don't have that, the people will perish, the people will die. But it's, it's actually not a very good translation. Because uh, the word for, for vision in Hebrew is the word chazon, uh, which actually means divine revelation. right? Without divine revelation or revelation of the divine. You see, it's not so much a great plan that we need. And by the way, plans are important. You really have to have a good plan. I'm not saying that they're not important, but there is something far more important than that. And that is we need a revelation of who God is 
even more so at a time like this. You see, when we get a distorted view or a false view of God, it's not that the people perish, it's that they cast off restraint, right? Basically, the ESV puts it much better, and it says, where there is no prophetic vision, where people don't see the Lord in all His glory, what happens to them is that the people cast off restraint, You see, when we lose sight of who Jesus is, what he's done, and the mission he's called us to, well, the people go nuts. And, you know, the book of Judges puts it like this. It says, in those days, there was no king, no no one that they looked up to. And, And we, as God's people, we look to Jesus as our king. And when we think that there's no king that we look up to or we take our eyes off him, what happens? It says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And that happens when we take our eyes and our hearts off the Lord, right? For some, that means, hey, we live exactly like we want, we do exactly what we want, even things we shouldn't, and we think that's fine, right? God doesn't mind. And that's the thing that we call license. For others, they come up with these bunch of religious rules, and they say, don't do this, don't do that, look, we don't do that here. And we call that legalism. But what we really need is a revelation of who we are in Christ, who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And when we get that picture, when we see that picture, we live in liberty. We live in the freedom of the spirit because the truth is what you believe affects how you behave. And so what does that look like for us? Uh, Today, we're going to look at one aspect of living in that liberty, living in that freedom and that knowledge of who Jesus is. And it does require a striving, a going after, a strain after some things. And when you strain after anything, you will know it takes courage, perseverance, and endurance. But we're also to flee from other stuff. And when you flee from stuff, it means you've got to take up your cross and you've got to die to yourself. And just in case you didn't know, dying to yourself is a painful process. It's a painful process, right? 2 Timothy 2.22. That is just the most easy verse to remember, right? 2 Timothy 2.22. It's just remember the four twos. But it says this. It says, so flee, run away from, leave it behind, youthful passions, and pursue, strive, run after, righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. If you want a good vision statement for your life this year, you want to put a verse on your fridge, that's the one you should put on. Those are the things that we should be leaving behind and pursuing. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that verse, my flesh tends to flip those two words. My flesh wants to pursue the youthful passions, pursue the things that I should really be leaving behind. And then I kind of want to flee from righteousness. I want to flee from faith and trust. I want to flee from love and I want to flee from peace. But you know what? When you, when you pray and you come and you realize the spirit that he's put inside you, that spirit that he's given us compels us to want to follow God, to pursue him and what God has for us, we want to follow. Not only for yourself, but also as a church. So today, I believe we need to be pursuing peace. Now, Jesus said a lot of interesting things about peace, and one of them uh, is this verse. It's, it comes from Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. It said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, Jesus, one of his titles was the Prince of Peace. Uh, but if you look at Jesus' life, it was marked by conflict. Right? Wherever he went, he seemed to stir up conflict. He, he had opposition. There were riots because of what he said. There were riots because of things that he done. There was violence. There were death threats. So much for being the prince of peace. Like, does, does anyone else find that strange? 
And I think it's because we have this wrong understanding of peace. You see, the, the Hebrew word for peace is one that we all know really well. It's the word shalom, right? Shalom. Now, shalom is not just the absence of conflict. It's actually so much deeper than that. Shalom is about being in perfect harmony. Harmony with God. Peace with God. Complete harmony with Him. Harmony with others. Complete peace with others. And harmony with yourself. Peace with yourself. That is biblical peace. You see, most people are actually at war with at least one of those. Most people are at war with God and they're wrestling against God and their flesh rebels against God. And some of us are at war with others. And some of us are at war with ourselves. But that's not shalom. That's not the harmony that God wants for us. And that's the peace that Jesus wants to bring. Like who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want that, right? And that's what it means to be part of the kingdom. When you're called into the kingdom and you say, Jesus, you are Lord, you're, you're my king, I'm choosing to follow your ways and be a subject in your kingdom, Jesus loves that. And his response is, great, great, come. Now let me show you what that means. Follow me. Just as I was a peacemaker, you have to be a peacemaker. And it requires being courageous, and it requires dying to yourself. All of us are actually called to be makers of peace. That's an active thing, right? It's, and we're also going to see it's actually a very hard thing. Because uh, the truth is, the natural tendency of my heart is not to be a peacemaker, but to be a peacekeeper. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen those UN soldiers. They put them, they give them a blue helmet, and they call them peacekeepers. And they send them to countries where there is already conflict. And they send them into these conflict areas, and they say, keep the peace. The conflict already exists. They are not there to make peace. They're there to make sure that the conflict doesn't spill over and get worse. They are peacekeepers. Now, the problem with that on a personal level is I can be just like those blue helmeted guys. And what I'm trying to do is maintain a false peace because I don't want more conflict. And Jesus, Jesus is definitely not a peacekeeper. Right? He didn't come with a blue helmet saying, all right, everybody, just relax, take it easy. Romans, just calm down. You can have your little space over there. Us Jewish people, just relax, don't cause trouble. And, and the religious leaders, just take it easy, guys. No, Jesus, he just walked straight into the porridge. And he did it because he loves people. And because he loves people, he was prepared to disrupt the false peace in order to bring about true kingdom, shalom, peace. And that doesn't come easy to me, right? I'm, I'm the guy with the blue helmet, UN, marked peacekeeper. And I, I can remember one situation when... Um, my, my sister was getting married, and my sister's four years older than me, and her fiance at the time, he was about three years older than her, and I was invited along to their sort of bachelor day out, and what they did is they went paintballing, and then afterwards we went to a restaurant to eat, and it was great, I went along as the little brother, and uh, we went paintballing, and then we went to this restaurant, and it happened to be a very expensive restaurant. Now, uh, my sister and her fiance, I mean, my sister's fiance, he was a professional, had been working for a number of years, all his mates were professional, and I had just, I mean, just started working. And anyone knows, your first job, you don't get paid a lot of money. And so when I got to this restaurant, I sat down, and it was one of those restaurants where you pick up the menu and you go, <gasps> I'm not feeling hungry anymore. <laughs> you know, suddenly, the carnivore in me turns into a vegetarian, and I want a salad. 
and oh, I'll have a glass of water. I'm trying to be healthy. And anyway, everyone else around me, they ordering steak and lobster, and there's wine going on around the table, and, and are you sure you don't? No, no, I'm fine. I'm, I'm enjoying my salad and, and tomato and lettuce and all that kind of stuff. And then somebody at the end of the evening says, oh, well, there's so many of us here. Let's just split the bill. <laughs> and inside my heart just sank. But because I'm a peacekeeper, I say, okay. <laughs> Inside, I know I'm not going to eat for the next month. That's it. I'm not even sure I'm even able to get to work. I'm not going to have money for petrol. But okay. And because of peace, in order not to disrupt things, I stay quiet. And for me, I think it goes back to my childhood, right? My, this is actually very common uh, in kids of divorced parents. So my parents were divorced when I was really young. And my sister and I learned very quickly to be peacekeepers. We would go and spend time with my dad. And whatever, you know, if we, if we had a good time or we went out or we went to a restaurant, or he gave us a gift. And then we got home and we told my mom, like, it would upset her and, and you know we didn't like that and then when I was with my dad he wanted to know what was going on with my mom and so we quickly learned just keep the peace and so when my dad asked about my mom how she oh fine absolutely fine just keep the peace and it can happen to us too you guys can have those family dinners, you know, those Christmas things where you come together as a family and you know there's just certain topics that you have to avoid. Right? We don't talk about that here because if we did, Auntie Gertrude is just going to set off World War III. You know, oh, I've got a different thought and opinion about that, but I'm not going to say it. I'll just keep, I'll keep the peace. And it's a false peace. You know, often in marriages, right, when I have two people in front of me, you quickly work out that, that the reason that they're having the, the difficulties that they have is that one spouse is very much a peacekeeper. For years, they've just kept the peace, and they've allowed the way that they've been spoken to or the tone and, on which they, they, they get spoken to or the way they and they don't say anything. They just keep the peace until that one day, peacekeepers are actually are armed with a gun and eventually they do shoot and it's like painful and then you kind of said okay we've got to deal with that you know for me if I'm honest the, really it was evident in the first few years of my ministry I, I was a false peacekeeper I, I really just wanted to keep people happy uh, and, you know, when I'd meet with people, I wouldn't be entirely honest, right? I would be a little bit honest, but I, I wouldn't be entirely honest. And I wouldn't tell them the full truth. And the truth is, a half-truth is really a lie. And the kingdom of God cannot be built on lies, only on truth. And I want to be a peacemaker, and a peacemaker is a costly thing. Um, you know, this, this was an example when I was at, uh, watermark in Hong Kong, um, there was a guy who was, he was just just really great guy, type of guy that everybody likes. He's got that personality that just resonates with anyone, and he was a leader in the church. Uh, it was a community group leader, and his, his community group just flourished. Everyone wanted to go there. He was a great Bible teacher. And he had this, he had this really sort of sad story. He had come uh, to be a believer, but his wife was an alcoholic. And we used to pray for her and all that kind of stuff. And eventually, she went to AA and she became a believer. And, you know, she came to know Jesus. And this was wonderful. We celebrated and all that. Um, and he came to the elders one day and he said, I'm getting a divorce. And we're like, whoa, what, what's going on? And he said, does your wife want a divorce? And we went and spoke to her, and she said, no, I don't want a divorce. I've just come to know the Lord. I want to work this out. And what we found out is that he had actually met someone else. And he used this excuse, well, you know, she's still a little bit messed up, and uh, I, I kind of, I still think it's right to divorce her. And um, 
So two of our elders, two of us, myself and another elder, we were charged to go and actually speak to him and speak truth in love um, and warn him just about what he was doing, that it, it wasn't on. And so we met him and we went for lunch and I did most of the talking. And after the lunch, we're walking away and I was with one of the other elder and I said, how do you think that went? And he said, that was terrible. He said, it almost made me want to go out and do something bad so you would take me out for lunch and affirm me. Because you just made that guy feel great. And that's not what we were there to do. And, you know, thank God when you have people in your life that tell you the truth. And I had to, I had to apologize, and I called him up and I said, hey, we need to meet again. And I, the reason that I didn't want, because I was actually friends with this guy, and I was afraid that if I spoke the truth, it was going to cost me the friendship. And the truth is, it did cost me the friendship. I did go in, and there wasn't an understanding, and he left the church. But it was worth it to be a peacemaker. You see, peacemakers, there's something in uh, peacekeepers, there's something in all of us. We, we want to avoid that conflict, we want to appease because we're really just afraid. Um, you know, I think an extreme example is, is people that you, you speak to them and they, they go through with a wedding. They actually go through a wedding that they don't want to go through. But they think, uh, you know, I, I don't want to upset the family. I don't want to ruin the wedding. I don't, everyone's so happy about this, but so I just won't. I'll just keep the peace. And you, you meet them like three years later and, and their marriage is in the mess. And they tell you, hey, I never even wanted to get married to this person. But because they so, such peacekeeping sits in us that they go through with it. You know, we can do this in our parenting. When our, our kids come to us and they go, can I, can I spend another 45 hours on the TV? And you think, well, that would be nice. They'll be quiet and I'll have some peace. Yes, you can do that. And if I say no, there'll be a little bit of tenty. So I keep the peace and I say yes. We're actually, moms and dads, we're called to be peacemakers. And there are times when we have to go, no, no. You can't do that because I love you. And because it's not good for your character, the answer is no. And you're prepared to disrupt that false peace in order to bring true peace. You know, this can happen in older children, right? Us as adults. This was particularly a problem uh, when I was in Hong Kong, in, Asia, in Asian culture. Like this expectation that parents have on their children. And even as adults, as you grow up, there's still this expectation on the adult children to be something. And, and you feel the, the comments and the sarcasm and, and you just like, you, you just take it because you want to keep the peace in the family. And there does need to be this time where you go, mom and dad, I, I love you and I honor you. And I'm sorry that I wasn't the doctor you wanted me to be. I'm sorry I'm doing this that, that you didn't want me to be. But I believe this is what the Lord's calling me to do with my life. And I'm content and I'm happy in it. Because the truth is we can also be like this as a church. If we're not careful, we can become peace keepers. Where everything seems to be working on the outside, but actually on the inside, it's not so good. You know, we, we don't talk about that. We don't open that box. We, we, don't ex we don't accept because we're afraid of what will happen. I don't know if you've ever been in those church meetings, right, where you're sitting down and, and uh, you kind of figure out what to do and you're making this plan. And someone comes up with this plan. I think we should have a festival of balloons next term. And in your head, you're thinking, that's just the dumbest idea I could ever think of. But because I'm a Christian... I say, that's lovely. What a great, anyone else got another idea? Okay, let's close the meeting. And then in the parking lot, I go and I see someone else and I go, did you, did you hear that comment? I mean, that was just such a dumb comment. That person's an idiot. And then she hears about that comment and you crush her spirit. But because I didn't want to upset the peace, I didn't say anything. And Jesus says, that's not my people. That's not what you're called to be. Guys, you've been set free. You've been brought into the kingdom. You don't do that. You belong to me now. 
You are humble. You are poor of spirit. You are meek. You are merciful. You hunger for the kingdom of God and the things of God and the ways of God. And because that's true, you are prepared to disrupt false peace in order to make true shalom kingdom peace. And that is not fun or easy. And I don't know about you, but I kind of tend to want to take the easy route, right? The less painful route and, and kind of just move on. And these are the, some of the things that I do. I don't know about you, but these are some of the things that I do to kind of justify it. One, I just pray and hope it goes away. You see something in your family or church or, or even in your own life and you just kind of pray and hope it goes away. Or you, you, you suppress the truth. You know it's true, but you just kind of push it away. You're kind of like, oh, just forget about it a little bit. Or we minimize it. And we go, you know what? It's, it's not, not such a big deal. I, I, won't, really, I, won't, I won't really address it. It's not, actually, it wasn't such a big deal. And, and you can't have those things and have true peace. No, the kingdom of God cannot come. It cannot come where there is false peace. You know what we end up doing is we, we end up sacrificing this shalom, God, God-desiring peace for us, and we settle for this outer, worldly, false peace. And it's not what he wants for us. And Jesus says, like, when you do that, actually what we become is is this whitewashed wall. We, we look good to everyone else. It looks nice, but actually when you come close, and it's hollow inside. It's, it's really rotting inside. There's nothing of substance there. You know, for some of us, this is, this is all we've ever known, right? We just, we just avoid, we appease, or we are afraid. And I really want you to hear this. When we live like that, it's actually, it's an injustice to yourself. It's an injustice to the Lord and it's an injustice to others because you're not really loving them by living in this false peace. You see, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. God has called us. He has brought us into his kingdom. He has made you his own. And his desire is to transform you into the image of his son so that we will be a people. We will be a people that are engaging the world, not as false peacekeepers, but as true peacemakers. And the way we do this is to look at Jesus. Actually, everything in your Christian walk, the way to do it is to look to him. And it's actually, it's not an accident if you, if you go to Matthew 5, and you look at verse 9, and then you look at the next two verses. It's not an accident that the next two verses are, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Trouble and conflict is actually part of the mission of Jesus, right? Peacemakers disrupt false peace so you can bring and people can experience true kingdom peace and if you look at Jesus, he actually had to, to pass through spiritual war first. That's why he was the Prince of Peace, but he actually came bringing a sword. He had to go to war with the crowds. He had to go to war with the Romans. He had to go to war with the religious leaders. He had to go to war with his disciples. And he even had to go to war with his own family to bring about true peace. This is what it says in Matthew 10, verse 34 to 39. It says, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. Do not think I've come to bring this false peace, and I'm just here as a peacekeeper. That's not me. I've not come to bring peace, that kind of peace, that false peace, but a sword. He had to deal with the false peace to bring truth. And then he unpacks it. He says, For I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. 
Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You see, don't, don't expect everyone to love you and, and applaud you when you are a peacemaker. There's no big parade and, and lots of shouts and cheering. Actually, there's likely to be pain and opposition and rejection. And anyone who, who seriously decides to follow Jesus, Jesus, you're, you're king, and I'm following your way. When you decide that, the thing you will figure out very quickly is trouble starts. Jesus says the call of a disciple, one of the very first calls of a disciple, is that you prefer Jesus, you prefer him to anyone else. Guys, if, if, you, if this wants to work, if you're really going to be my disciple, actually, I really need to be your king. Only me. Even your wife and your children, even something as precious as family, actually need to take a second place to Jesus. You see, here's the weird thing. Right? <laughs> he actually gives us the answer here. He says, when we prepare to lay those things down and we prepare to lose those things, that's the very moment that we gain them. Right? We, we can't keep a family on the proviso of false peace because it's not what God wants for us. We can't keep a church family on the proviso of false peace. Being a follower of Jesus requires you to lay that down. And be prepared to disrupt false peace in order to bring true peace. But it's costly. And it takes courage. You know, uh, for me, growing up, I never had a great relationship with my dad. And when I graduated from university, I, I went and lived with him for the first time in my life for a couple of years. And suddenly, we were friends. We developed this friendship, and it was great, and I really loved it. But there was one thing that I didn't do was witness to my dad. He knew I went to church on a Sunday, but we never spoke about it, never talked about it. He didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to talk about it. I knew growing up what he thought of church and the comments he made and all that kind of stuff. So I knew I just didn't want to ever bring it up. And, and I'd kind of found this friendship, and I didn't want to lose it. But I knew I had to witness to him. I knew as a follower of Jesus, I actually had to go, well, you know what? I'm actually prepared to lay this down for what he's called me to do and disrupt this false peace that really is there because the relationship can't go any deeper. And eventually one day I did. I said, I want you to know that in Jesus, I found this, this freedom. I found forgiveness of sins. I found purpose in my life. I want to give him everything. And I'd love to tell, I want you to experience the same. I want you to know him for yourself. And I'd love to tell you that he repented on the spot and came to know the Lord. He didn't. But in the Lord's grace, it actually, it didn't cost the relationship. And what it did do was actually strengthen our friendship. Because now we actually had pulled the curtain past and we could talk about everything. I just wish I had taken so long to do that. You know, if we're engaged in peacemaking, it's going to be costly, right? Anwar Sadat from Egypt, he was trying to make peace with the Israelis, and one of his own people killed him for trying to be a peacemaker. Martin Luther King, trying to bring peace, was killed. Ishak Rabin, trying to bring peace with the Palestinians, was killed. See, peacemaking is a dangerous business, and I think that's one of the reasons why we're so afraid is because it is dangerous and it is costly and it is something we want to avoid. But Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called sons of God. Now, there's two words that are used for sons. And the, 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 the one meaning for this one is dignity and honor. It's basically saying when you're a peacemaker, what you're doing in that moment is you're actually bearing the family resemblance of God. You're looking like Him. You see, you were created to be like your heavenly Father. You were created to be like Jesus. 
You were created to be in this world to disrupt false peace. Not to be a peacekeeper, but to be a true kingdom peacemaker. But when we don't do that because we're afraid, we're, we're actually, you know what we're doing? We're denying our identity as a son and daughter of God. Right? When we engage, when we come to know him and we say, Lord, change me, he makes us a very different people. He makes us look very different because in our hearts, we know our security and our identity and who we are is now in him. And when that's true, when we realize that and we have this revelation once again of who he is and what's he done and who we are in him, then we become unafraid. We become unafraid and we love people. You know, the way to know if you're growing in God is that you love people more. If you think I'm growing in God and you love people less, sorry, you're not growing in God. <laughs> You see, you're actually prepared to engage with people and disrupt the, the false peace that exists. Not because you dislike them or because you want to be vengeful or you want to ruin their day. You do it because you love them. Because you love them. You know, the Bible says that at one stage, we were all, we were all at war. We were actually, our biggest problem is that we were at war with God. We, we wrestle against him. And usually when anyone's at war with someone else, you, you kind of want to shoot down the enemy. But Jesus didn't do that way. He came himself and he said, you know what? Our sin actually created this wall of hostility between us and God. We could not get to him. And yet Jesus came and he stood in the gap. And he said, I will be the Prince of Peace. I will take that hit. I will take the hit that you deserve as an enemy of God to make peace. And he did it by going to the cross. And he took all the hate, all the sin, all the horrible stuff onto himself. And he gave us his peace. His righteousness he gave us. It's a gift. And what it did was just open the way that actually there is no more war of hostility. We now have access to him. See, that's real peace. That's shalom peace. And you can have that. That is amazing that we can have peace with God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We can have peace with him. We can have so much peace that it gets to the point where we actually call him Abba, Father. This person that we were at war with, that we wanted nothing to do with, gets to the point where we go, you're my dad. You're my dad. You're so close. So much love for you. And you cannot do that on your own. You cannot make that happen. You cannot twist the relationship in such a way to work that out. No, we, we need someone. We need an advocate in our place. And that was Jesus. He took the hit so that we can come to him. You know it takes, it takes humility to come to the cross. The very first time you come to the cross, that's you, you're being humble because you're saying, I can't do it. And actually, I am a failure. Actually, I do have the weight of sin on me and the dirt and the stink and the stench of it, and I can't do it, and I need you. That takes humility. But it also takes humility to keep coming back to the cross Every day. Every day. You know, the moment we think we don't need the cross, the moment we think, oh, you know what, actually they need it a little bit more than I do. Like, yeah, that, oh, they, yeah, they really need it. The moment we think that pride is creeping in and we need to know, no, Lord, actually, I need to be humble before you. You see, we never, never graduate from grace. Never graduate from grace. So church, I want to leave you with some questions today, which I believe the Lord has the answer for. And the first question is, where are you a false peace keeper? In what relationships or circumstances are you a false peace keeper? You happily put on the blue UN helmet. 
What are those moments where you know you're actually just appeasing, you're avoiding, and you're fearful of being a peacemaker? And actually, the answer to that is, is just to pray and ask God to change you. And he will. That's his promise. He will. You don't have to do it. You just have to be humble and saying, I can't. Have the courage. Lord, give me the courage to engage with the false peacekeeper in me to bring true peace. And church, we are going to need that in the days ahead. You are going to need that. Now, the truth is there are some of us who are really good at conflict, right? You guys are the warriors. You guys have no problem putting on the boxing gloves and getting stuck in there. And the problem is when you do it, you actually chop people's heads off. And you get enraged and the flesh gets in there. And you need the Spirit's work to humble you so that you can be meek and merciful and kind and loving. You see, Jesus said, in me, in me, you have peace which the world knows nothing about. Only in Christ do we have this kind of peace. Only in Christ. Guys, and the truth is, like, I don't know how to make this simple, but you're going to have trouble in this world. That's what Jesus said. You're going to have trouble in this world. And he also says, if you follow me, you're also going to have trouble. So it doesn't matter which way you go. You're going to have trouble. So why not have trouble his way? That's the good news. Church, this is my last word to you. And I want to be honest in saying there have been times I've been a peacekeeper. That I've been too afraid to disrupt false peace so that we can have kingdom peace. I've walked past things I shouldn't have walked past. I didn't call out things I should have. And I ask for your forgiveness because ultimately I didn't love you as I should. You know, the Lord desires peace. But he firstly desires that you would have peace with him. That you would know the joy and the freedom of forgiveness this harmony that he has for you. But he also desires peace in his church. A church that will just display this beautiful, true kingdom peace. So that when people walk through those doors who know nothing of this peace will go, wow, what is wrong with you weird people? <laughs> like, you guys are so different. What is it that you have? What is this love and peace that you have? And all that we can do is go, it's him. It's him. So church, as you look to new leaders, my prayer is that you would look for, for people who are humble peacemakers. Look for peacemakers. And my prayer goes beyond that, that we would all be peace makers in this body and that will be to the glory of God you know I said to someone on Thursday that waking up on Thursday was like waking up the day after a funeral I felt this depth of grief that you feel after someone's died and it's not because I'm stepping down from my job it's because of you. I'm so grateful. You know, in moments like this, you, you can think, like, why? But actually, I just turn and, Lord, I am so grateful. I'm so grateful to you for allowing me to get to know you guys, to have this honor and privilege of sharing God's word with you and, and to share our lives with you and for, for you to share your lives with us. My only, my only pain is that I just wish... I could know you more, and you could know us more. But I, I've just loved hearing your stories and your walk with the Lord and the things that he's showing you. You know, there's this, this, this verse that I read this week that I've never really understood or, or been able to relate to, and it comes from Philippians in chapter 4. 
And Paul writes to the Philippians and he says this, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love. And I looked at that and I just started crying. Because I felt that. Whom I love. Therefore, my brothers and sisters in Oakton, whom I love and long for, you are my joy and my crown. Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Church, you are my joy. And, and my prayer is that you would, more than anything, that you would stand firm in the Lord. You know, I'm not going to look back on my days at Oakton in, in the weeks and the months and the years ahead. I'm not going to think of the, the buildings or the amazing facilities or the gazebo lawns. As wonderful as those blessings are, the memories that I will treasure and look back on is when I think of you, the church, the people, the faces, <laughs> the laughs, the tears, the families, your children, the love that you have for the Lord. Those are the things I will remember and be incredibly grateful for and will be so sweet and precious to me. You know, talking to Irina this week, and by the way, my wife is amazing. I know, husbands, you might think your wife is the greatest. I got the best one. You know, she's been through her own struggles this week, right? She really has this outpouring grief. I think, you know, Irina's probably cried 10 times in her life, and about seven of those have been this week. Um, but even in her own grief, she's loved and supported me. And if you know Irina, she's not a morning person. Like if you say, hey, let's meet up six o'clock for coffee, you're going to get a no. But she woke up at five o'clock this morning to pray with me. And that's who she is. Just so grateful for her. You know, outside of coming to know Jesus, she's the Lord's biggest gift to me. And so, honey, I love you. And I'm so grateful to the Lord for you. But as she was processing her grief, I said to her, you know, the Lord will work this for good. He's promised to. And in that pain, she said, what good is coming from this? And I think that's probably a question we've all asked this week. And I said, honey, the people are desperate for God. They realize it's not the nice buildings they need. It's not the nice programs. It's not the nice speakers. They need God. And that's a good thing. You know, one verse that, that I've just held on to this, this past year is a verse from, from, from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and it says, These things happen that we might not lean on ourselves, but on Christ who raises the dead. And, and it, the things that Paul lists, they're far worse than what we're facing. But he said they happened because they brought us to a place where we could just lean on Christ. And he's not weak to lean on. He's the one who raised the dead. That is a beautiful thing, church, to get to the point where we are leaning only and solely on Him. You know, the, the young adults were supposed to have a, a beach social tonight, and they canceled it, and now they're having a prayer meeting here instead. H how good is that? How good is that? I didn't ask them to do that. They did it because they're desperate for God. And they want to lean on Christ. There we go. Young adults, you guys are leading the way. And I'm so proud of you guys. I really am so proud of you guys. The future is bright, church. When we look and we get that revelation of his majesty, his glory, his wonder, his might, his love for us. Oh, my goodness. If God is for us, who can be against us? You know, Paul, when he writes his letter to the Romans, he's just been, he's been massaging and he's been wrestling with the gospel, trying to get them to see the gospel, trying to get them to see God's glory, and that everybody, everybody comes to the, the cross on equal footing, and that we all need the cross, and in Christ there's life, and he, and he gets to the stage where he just can't help himself anymore, and he just explodes with this praise, and it comes out in Romans 11, and he says, oh, the depths and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him 
that he might be repaid. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him and him alone be the glory forever. Amen. Church, I love you. And I thank you for the wonderful privilege that you've given me and the precious memories that we will take with us. And I am so grateful to our God who's loved us and cared for us. You know, there's this beautiful story of there were two preachers in the 1950s and the people would go to hear the one and they would come out and they'd go, oh, what a wonderful preacher he was, just wonderful preacher. And people would go and listen to the other one and they would come out and they would say, what a wonderful savior we have. And church, that's what I want more than anything is that you would look and go, oh, what a wonderful Savior we have. How beautiful is he? Let me pray with you for the last time. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Kingdom, shalom, peace. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the one who fought the war. You won the battle. The victory is yours. You have made peace with God for us. And we thank you. We thank you for the Savior that you are. We thank you that you rescued us and you continue to rescue us. Lord, help us never to take our eyes and our hearts off you to get a revelation of who you are, to understand the love and the grace that is found in you. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would bless your people. I pray that you would bring your people together. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would love each and every one of them, Lord God. And Lord, I, I pray that your mercy would be so strong in this place, that this church would just be a wonderful testimony to the goodness of God and the power of God. In Jesus' name, amen.